Pastor Ed Ray on reaping the harvest. He says, and he who reaps receives wages. He's who gathers in people to the kingdom of God for God and gathers fruit for eternal life. Eternal life? You were designed for eternity. What? Your soul and your spirit are eternal. They will live for eternity. Our bodies, eh, not so much. <laughs> They're deteriorating as we sit here. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your Hey, welcome to another Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're online at thepackinghouse.org and we're going and growing through the New Testament together. And today we pay another visit to John chapter 4. Jesus is sharing with his disciples about going out into the world and reaping the harvest for God's kingdom. How you doing with that? Let's see what we can learn from it all as we join Pastor Ed now in John chapter 4. His disciples started talking among themselves, verse 33. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Did you guys sneak him something while I wasn't looking kind of a thing? Now, John calmly records how misunderstood his disciples are misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. He's talking about spiritual things and they're thinking physical things. Part of John's argument for the gospel is that they didn't know they were with the Messiah. They didn't realize that they were walking around Israel for three and a half years with God the Son. And they're astounded by it. And he's always talking about spiritual things, and they're always talking about physical things, like Nicodemus. Jesus said, you have to be born again. And he's thinking, I, I can't get born again. I'm an old man. And this is the same kind of a situation. They're talking about having corn dogs and he's talking about doing what God the Father had asked him to do. My food, verse 34, said, do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. To finish his work, what, what work is Father God doing? He's still doing creation. You are part of his creation. He knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 says. And it uses the Hebrew word woven, like in mitosis, DNA strands unraveling and then going back together. You have 46 chromosomes that he designed. Well, I don't like the way he designed mine. Everybody has a complaint. You know, I'm too short, I'm too tall. My eyes are too close together, they're too far apart. My ears are too big. I wanted red hair and I got brown hair. It's so disappointing. God doesn't think so. He built you the way you are. And he likes it. God likes you. Well, I know he loves me. No, he likes you. I think that's a great truth that isn't shared very often that God, the creator of the universe, likes you personally, individually. You matter to God. 
we always see all the flaws in our lives, at least if we're honest, and we think, well, he, he couldn't like me. He has to put up with me. He blew it when he made me, and now he has to live with it. No. He likes the way he made you. That's the work of creation. It's still going on. But there's another work that's as important, if not more, and this redemption. People coming to a relationship with God. It's his design that people are born into this world and they do not know why they're here. Probably many of you in this place would say that about your own life right now. I don't know why I'm here. God wants you to know. And he wants you to be redeemed, bought back because of his death on a cross for you and to put you in a pathway that you were designed for. If you haven't found that yet, don't leave this morning until you've done that with him. Say, God, take my life, I surrender, show me what it is that I'm supposed to do. And you'll find significance in your life that you never thought possible. He is the creator. So he's doing the work of creation, he's doing the work of redemption. And it's more satisfying that physical food is what Jesus is saying. He's echoing the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 8.3. Listen, man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Physically, food nourishes our physical body, but our souls and our spirits need spiritual food. We need God's word. We need to study it. That's why we go through it right now. You are being fed spiritually right now just because he left it in his word. So Jesus is saying he's receiving great satisfaction from being obedient to what Father God has sent him for. Do not say, verse 35. He sounds like he's changing the subject. He goes 180 on him. Do not say there are still four months. You say it. You guys understand this. You're agricultural, an agrarian society built on agriculture. There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white with harvest. Now, this makes the most sense if it's like mid-December, about this time of the year in Israel, because... They use a dry farming method where the seeds are all planted in the fall. And then the rains come in November, December, and it comes up the wheat. Now, we don't know anything about wheat. We live in California. We know about freeways, but not about wheat. If you're from Kansas, you know, wheat comes up, it looks like grass at first, but then it keeps getting taller and taller, and finally it gets a head on it. It takes about four months. So about mid-April, go to Israel, you'll see the wheat fields are all white. The heads are bent over and it bends the light and it looks like they're bright, brilliant white. That's what he's talking about, no doubt. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're standing at the well looking up at the Samaritans that are coming. The Samaritans, they wear white robes from chin to the floor. And they were all coming out of the village. And he no doubt is pointing, look, those fields are white with harvest. He wasn't talking about wheat. He was talking about people. Again, a spiritual statement. 
And here's an opportunity, he's saying. Look at all these people that are coming. They want to know about God. They think there's somebody here that understands something about God. They didn't know they had God standing there himself. And then he continues this illustration. He says, and he who reaps receives wages. He's who gathers in people to the kingdom of God for God and gathers fruit for eternal life. Eternal life? You were designed for eternity. What? Your soul and your spirit are eternal. They will live for eternity. Our bodies, eh, not so much. <laughs> They're deteriorating as we sit here. Don't give me that look. I'm older than you, but you're still deteriorating too. <laughs> it's happening to all of us. Oxidation is taking place. Not enough free radicals flowing around in your body. And we could talk about the biochemistry, but you're aging even now at this moment. So here's an opportunity, he's saying. People are coming and I want you to gather them for eternity, for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps, and he goes back to this illustration of farming, may rejoice together. We are involved in a mutual partnership to see people come into eternity. You may never do any reaping. You may never pray with anyone to receive the Lord. But it's easy to plant seeds. You know, the guy at work who says, hey, you want to go do something Sunday? You say, mm, no, I'll be busy. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to church. You go to church? What do you do that for? Open door. Again, you don't have to beat them over the head with your Bible. Just say, hey, I find I do a lot better when I'm in church than the bar for some reason. It's a funny thing. He who reaps may rejoice together with he who plants. Now, you can plant with prayer. How so? I know that my great, great, great grandmother prayed for me. We found her Bible. It's written in it. She prayed for her great, great, great grandchildren. She didn't know our names, but she did. And she taught her daughter to pray. My great, great grandmother. And she taught her daughter, my great grandmother, to pray. And guess what? I'm praying for my grandchildren. I don't have any great-grandchildren yet, but I'm praying for 10 generations because I want them all to benefit from the salvation that God has given me. So you can sow just by praying for your prayer. Well, I'm not married. I don't have any children, Pastor. Adopt them. There's a ton of them out there. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, online at thepackinghouse.org. Let's rejoin Pastor Ed in our study of the Gospel of John, Chapter 4. When opportunity knocks, take it. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth verse 5 of chapter 3. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believe? Corinth was the most wide open wild west town in the Greek world. It was Las Vegas and Atlantic City all rolled into Monte Carlo. Just wild and crazy. And Paul the apostle went there and he brought the gospel. 
And he preached in a Jewish synagogue. And I see a couple of people who've been to Israel with us and went to the footsteps of Paul. And you can go into that synagogue. The very, why, how do you know it? Well, it's 2,000 years old and it's the only lintel in town that was in Hebrew. It was the only synagogue in Corinth. Paul spoke there. You can go walk it around the same place. House next door where he taught, it says in the book of Corinth, Corinthians. And right 200 feet away is a big stone that's called the Bema Judgment Seat. And that's where the Isthmian Games were judged. They were the equivalent of the Olympics, but on the opposite years. And in Corinth, they ran these games. And if you won an event, you'd go stand on this and they'd put a laurel wreath on your head. And he talks about the Bema Judgment Seat of Christ in his letter to the Corinthians. But after Paul left, another guy comes. And his name is Apollos. That's who he was writing about. Paul said, I planted. Apollos came and watered and reaped some. But who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, so that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the increase. One person plants, the one who plants is really nothing. One person waters, that person is really nothing. The one that harvests is really nothing because it's God that's doing the work through you and through me. But what a privilege to think that God, the creator of the universe, would use individual, you, me, to lead someone else into a relationship with him for eternity. I'm eternally grateful to the one who led me to the Lord. So grateful I married her, okay? <laughs> Actually, I married her first, and then she... And I was, you know, just lost as a rock. And she just kept praying for me. And she finally got me into church, which was a miracle. I hadn't been in church for 20 years. <laughs> and, okay, here, I'll give you the, the trap. What do you want for your birthday? I asked my wife. She said, oh, that's easy. I want you to come to church with me. Ha, 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 I laughed. She said, no, I'm serious. No, what do you really want for your birthday? Come to church with me. And I kept that up for two weeks, and she kept it up for two weeks. And finally, the day of her birthday, August 13th, 1972, I said, well, where am I going to take you for your birthday? She just smiled. <laughs> no. Yeah, it starts at 7, Redondo Beach. Come on, let's go. I was trapped like a rat. By the grace of God, I will stand in eternity with her, next to her, and say, thank you. How do you say thank you for eternity? I mean, Jesus gave it, but she's doing this work in evangelist. Now, don't get parochial on it. Guy came up to me a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, I've been sharing with a guy at work for probably two years. I tell him about Jesus. I brought him to church here several times. Nothing happened. Well, he went to church last week at a Baptist church, and he got saved. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> what? 
we're standing right here. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not terrible. That's amazing. You planted and you watered. But somebody else brought the increase. That's what Jesus is teaching here. 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you haven't entered into their labors. He's talking about the Samaritans that are coming. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you need to go talk with these guys. Now, they had seed planted by someone else. Well, he probably means two things. Number one, Old Testament prophets, because they had been in there, Jacob's well, and he had shared the importance of the first five books of Moses. But he probably is also talking about John the Baptist because John was baptized not very far from here. And he said, you must repent and be baptized. You have to ask God for forgiveness for your sins and be baptized. So a clear message had been in that area. And he's telling the disciples, you may go and do some reaping, but you didn't do the planting. You didn't even do the watering. Just go do it because God has prepared these people for you. And many of the Samaritans of that city, verse 39, believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who said, he told me all that I ever did. So she planted and she brought some watering and Jesus brings the increase, verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay because of what this woman had said. And he stayed there two days. So the evangelist in this picture is the most irreligious person, unholy, if you will, person in the village. And God stops there to talk to the worst sinner, if I can put it that way, in the village so that she can lead the whole village to a relationship with God. God will use anyone. <laughs> In fact, he usually uses the most unusual person, the least likely person. So she's the reason that they heard of Jesus. They come to him. He stays there for two days. The disciples are probably thinking, oh, goodness, we're staying in a Samaritan village what my mother would say about that. You know, they thought it was a terrible thing because they were racially prejudiced. They were gender prejudiced. And they were too holy to talk to a woman that had been married five times and was living with a guy. Jesus didn't think so. Do you see how amazing this story is? That God stops on his way to the north of the Galilee to meet with a woman who was the least likely person in the village. And she ends up leading the village to a relationship with him. That's God's encouragement to us. And many more believe because of Jesus' word, verse 41. The snowball, it keeps going. It goes down through families. It goes through businesses. It goes through neighborhoods because people keep sharing the good things that God has done for them. And then they said to the woman, after all these people are saved, now we believe, not because of what you said, but we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Messiah. And then they add something that no one else in the Gospels saw. Savior of the world. Why? Why did they see it? 
because they were racially mixed. And he was going to anyone who would listen. Didn't matter what race, didn't matter what nation they were from, didn't matter what language they spoke because God is harvesting from the entire... When we get to heaven, there'll be people from every tribe, race, and tongue. That's what Revelation says. They'll all be there. Will you participate? Will you be part of that? Now, a few years before COVID hit, I would go to and teach at a pastor's conference in Germany. And it was in a city called Siegen. And the pastor there is Nick Long. He's actually spoken here several times. Some of you may have been around and remember Nick. But I loved going to that city because that city is where the Moravian missionaries started. That's probably not a word you know. We don't really have Moravian churches on the West Coast. They do on the East Coast, and they do all over the world. The Moravians came from northern Germany, this area around Siegen. And there was a count there, a German count, Zindendorf was his name. And in 1700, he got saved when somebody witnessed to him in his high school. Completely, radically changed him. And he began sharing his faith with everyone else in the high school and in all that area. And churches began to pop up from this high school and then college-age guy as he witnessed. And all these young people wanted to go into the world and share the good news with others. And Moravian missionaries started a group called the Mustard Seed, that they wanted to be that little seed that would change the world. An example is a true story of two of those young, both 19-year-old young men from Siegen, Germany, who hear the gospel, get radically saved, and then they hear about a British planter who had bought an island in the Caribbean, not far off the Jamaican coast. And he owned the whole island, and he cultivated it in sugarcane by taking slaves from Africa. Black men, 3,000 of them on this island. And this man was an atheist, and he swore he'd never let a Christian come on the island. If they did, he'd throw them right off, make them swim. These two young men heard about this and realized the only way they could get there and stay there is to sell themselves into slavery. Two German 19-year-olds sold themselves into slavery. And the day came for them to be put in chains on a ship and taken from Hermhot, it's called, in northern Germany, not far from Siegen, down to the Caribbean. And all the Moravian churches of, of eastern Germany came at, to the dock where they had gotten on the ship. And they all knelt down and prayed for these two young men who would never return. And they were selling themselves into slavery. And as the ship pulled away and the distance between the shore and the ship grew, one of the young men in chains stood up on the edge of the ship and he shouted out these words, that the lamb that was slain may receive the due reward of his suffering. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would receive the reward for his suffering on a cross, souls. That 3,000 black men from Africa would be witnessed to by two Aryan white guys. 
that would bring the gospel to that island and then to Jamaica and then the entire Caribbean. What a challenge. Would you sell yourself into slavery to take the gospel to someone else of a different race? As Pastor Ed Ray just shared, what are you willing to do to share the gospel? We'll leave you to think that over. And this is Grow in Grace, and we're going through the New Testament together. And if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. This program is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We have an exciting resource to tell you about today. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Grace is a word we love to hear, but many of us don't know what it really means. Sure, it's how God saves us, but it's also how we grow. Pastor Chuck Smith shares insights from his own life and reveals how grace changes everything in our lives when properly understood and applied. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE and we'll send this your way for a gift of any amount. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me.